It is God's will that your honorable lives should, be, should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. For you are free, yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone and love your Christian brothers and sisters. Fear God and respect the king. Or, as I think what varies in your translations might say, fear God and respect the emperor, right? So the emperor was this terrible human. He was, he was abusive. He hurt people. Um, and, and Peter's not just mouthing words. Like, Peter himself was, was crucified upside down. So, like, he, he knows suffering. He, he knew suffering. So he's not, like, speaking from a place of um, lack of credibility, but he speaks from a place of, of full credibility. And this isn't just, like, when we think of following our rulers and authorities. This would be really hard. Um, imagine being a Christian— in Syria, and you probably know what's been going on in Syria over the past several years, even particularly the past couple days in Syria. Um, They have this terrible leader who kills his own people and his country in terribly painful, evil, dark ways. And so imagine being a Christian there and, and, and hearing this and going like, I'm supposed to honor that? I mean, that's almost silly. That makes me uncomfortable. I look at the word of God there and go, oh God, surely there's a couple exceptions to this. Even sillier is me standing up here or me talking to people who are Syrian Christians and saying, hey, um, you know what the word of God says, so you know, keep the resistance down and honor your leader because he really is only trying to keep order in the land. He's killing innocent people by the thousands and has. I mean, that just sounds ridiculous. And yet, it's an example that Peter gives. And it's hard to wrap around. It is hard. And then, he follows that up with our passage for today. Slaves. Verse 18. You, are, you who are slaves must accept the authority of your masters with all respect. Do what they tell you. Not only if they are kind and reasonable, but even if they are cruel. For God is pleased with you when you do what you know is right and patiently endure unfair treatment. Of course, you get no credit for being patient if you are beaten for doing wrong. But if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. Um, I should have put that up earlier. The president of Syria and a kid who is affected by a chemical gas attack. How, how does honor for a Christian happen in that scene? Um, slaves. Um, modern day slavery exists. In, in this passage, this isn't just like a, an employee-employer relationship that Peter's talking about. Um, this is, I mean, he mentions cruel masters. This is, would be unbelieving masters with Christian slaves. And some of them were treated very cruelly, uh, abusively. And Peter again says, you know, s- submit to your master and, and, and do what they tell you. Do the right thing. And if you still get beaten for... for for doing the right thing, then all praise and glory to God. Um, gosh, I mean, it's an unjust situation. And, and we're just supposed to, to submit there and let that happen? I, I don't know. Again, I'm uncomfortable with that. And, and where would I be if I said to the, you know, the 13-year-old girl who's sold into, it, she, she's trafficked, and she's sold into slavery in, in Seattle or in Africa or in Eastern Europe. 
and I say, hey, you know, look, I, I know you're a follower of Christ, but like, you know, look, the Bible is just really clear on what you should do. Just submit to your master and, and God's going to get glory for this terrible situation that you're in. I mean, holy cow, this is hard. What, what do we do with that? Like, where do I, where do we have the right to even speak to that? How do we bring healing to that? How do we talk about that? These examples are, they're messed up. They, 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 they challenge us. They, they, they put the word of God in front of us in a very real way. And it's the very real way that these people were experiencing suffering. They were experiencing suffering at the, the hands of a terrible emperor who was cruel and abusive. They were experiencing suffering and abuse at the hands of some very cruel, non-Christian, non-followers of Christ, masters who were lording power over them. And Peter is talking to them about this. And it's really, really hard. And then he goes on in verse 21, and he says this, For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow his steps. And then he pulls from Scripture, from Isaiah 53, and he says, He never sinned, nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross, so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. And so what Peter does is he gives these harsh, harsh examples based out of their reality. And then he shares the word of God with them. Not a two-dimensional word of God but a living and active word that they would have known. Like they would have known this about Jesus. And you and I can sit here today and hear that and be like, yeah, but that's still really hard. I can't just go quote this to some nine-year-old girl who has to spend her time with 40-year-old men and think that that's going to help her feel better because she's a slave, right? But the word of God contextually placed brings life and hope. It brings life and hope where we don't even understand the kind of power that it can have because we haven't been in these kinds of situations because we don't know fully that. But Peter's really confident that God's story, the story of his son dying for our sins is our story too. And he's convinced that there's life that comes out of that. Um, this isn't my story. I don't understand what it means to live under a harsh emperor, nor do I understand what it means to be a slave. But I know that God's word is alive. And I know that it says in verse 22 to 25 that he suffered for us. And I know that it says that we had turned to our shepherd and he's the guardian of our souls. And I know what it says, he understands our pain and suffering. So there's this hope. There's this hope in this word that interacts with this terribly horrible, painful stuff. 
And so while you and I may not understand what it means to live under a harsh emperor, I guarantee you there are Christians in Syria who get this. Because the word is alive in their context. It's it's alive in the space of their life. I guarantee you there's children in Africa who are slaves, who know Jesus, and who experience suffering and hurt and pain every day, but who get this because it's all they have. It's in the context of their life. They get it. It's real. Jesus is the living and active word, and he comes into that space, and there's suffering and there's pain and hurt there. And they know who he is because they know his word is alive, and they know it's active, and they know it's in them, and they know that he's in them, and they're in him. And they know that. And we know that too. Because we've experienced some pain and suffering in our lives. And we know that the word of God is living and active. And it enters into that space. With that person who we just can't seem to forgive or get along with. And the word of God comes into that. And it does something that we can't do. It spurs forgiveness. It brings healing in ways that we can't. Because the word of God is alive. Um. This week, it was actually, um, Sammy came to me, and um, he found a book on the bookshelf in their room, and he had never seen this book before, and he was really excited about the book, and he's like, Dad, look at this. This is awesome. And, and he opens up this book, and he's like, look at that. I might be adding a little bit of, to it, but I'm just like, yeah, that's awesome. And he's just like, look, you can pull this tab and this snake, you can't see it, but there's a little snake there and the snake moves and these things are like three-dimensional and they, they come out and he's just like, this is awesome. And then, you know, he turns the page and like another scene comes to life and this animal runs across. Let me see here. Let me find my running animal. Yes. So can you see the animals moving? Right? If you want to learn about creatures of the desert world, this is the way to do it. Right? So I was thinking about this this week as I was talking with people because he was just like, like he wanted to present this to me. Like, Dad, look at this. And there's so much to see here. You should come up after the service and you should look at this. There are, There's mule deer on this. There is a kit fox. There's peccaries, which are little little quail-like birds that run back and forth. It's awesome. If you want to learn about animals in the desert, don't get this book. Okay? I mean, with all due respect to David Schwartz and Dwight Kuhn, I mean, I'm sure this book is used educationally in classrooms, and it's great. And there's a real purpose in it. This is a useful tool. But, I mean, look at this. this. This is not this. And it never will be. Right? If I wanted to have a kindergartner do a research paper, I'd give them this book. If I wanted to have them learn about the desert, I would give them this book. Right? If I wanted to have them know about the desert, I would give them this book. If I wanted them to know the desert, I would 
if I couldn't afford to put them on a plane and send them out to New Mexico, I would give them this book, right? This book can very easily become this book, right? If I just do these things, and, and if I read these things, and if I understand these things, and I, and I know about God and who he is, and I can name his characteristics and talk about him with other people, that, that's okay. That's good. That, that's a step towards something more, hopefully. But if that's where I stay, then we've completely missed everything. But this, this book is alive. It's, it's three-dimensional. The, the words speak into our context. Any context. The words speak into my marriage. The words speak into how I interact with my neighbors. The words speak into my personal suffering, whether that's physical or emotional. These words speak into the suffering, the deep, darkest suffering that our world knows. The suffering that Peter knew. Peter had all the credibility in the world to say the things that he did. And then to say, here's the scriptures. Here's who Jesus is. Here's how your story interacts with that. And it would be really nice if I could stand up here today and give you like a three points to be able to like, engage that alive, like, okay, great, now I want to unlock that in X, Y, or Z situation in my life. I can't do that. P- Peter couldn't do that for his people. He simply puts it out there and says, you are suffering terribly. The word of God speaks to that. Yep, you might have to still suffer. But the word of God speaks to that. And in that place, Things come alive in a hurting person. I may not know it. I may still think they're hurting. I may look at their situation and be like, oh my goodness, how does somebody live in that? How does somebody survive that? How does that kid in my neighborhood go home every day from school? It's terrible. How does anybody endure that abuse or feel that pain every day? But then you come to find out that the word of God is living and active. And it speaks into their hurt and into their pain. And there's life. There's life that we don't know because it hasn't become 3D for us. It hasn't become alive for us. It just looks like it's words on a page or a concept in our head. But it's so much more than that. It's so much more. Um, I, I don't have a clue how to care for a Syrian refugee. Um, I, I, don't have a, I don't have a clue to bring peace to them losing their home or watching their family die at the hands of a brutal dictator. I, I don't think I ever want to be in that situation to have to do that. I, I don't know how to speak truth and love and life into a young kid who's been kidnapped and brainwashed and, and led astray. I, I, don't, I don't know how to do that. I, I don't know how to tell a kid in the city of Lebanon that it's going to be okay. Because life isn't okay. 
I don't know how to do that. But I know that the word of God is alive. And I know that it's possible. Because if it weren't, I wouldn't be here talking about this. I wouldn't be following Jesus. I wouldn't be a pastor. I wouldn't be in community with you folks. I would just be doing what Peter's telling them not to do, which is give in and, and go the way of the world. But we know that there's something there. We know that there's hope. We know that in that truth, there's life. And it may not change outward circumstances. I wish it would. It may. And it does, and it can, and we've seen it. It it may be an inward transformation where somebody is just strengthened in ways that we can't humanly understand because it's not our experience. But it's the word of God that does that. And and if we believe that, then then life comes alive. Then anything is possible. In that most broken relationship in our life, in in the past, Pastor Jay has talked about a third way. You know, we're looking at something going on in our life, and it's like, there's this way, and mm, that doesn't seem right. And there's this way, mm, and that seems impossible. And there's this way. That we tend to do last, but, but this is the way. This is that way. It is the way of God's word. It is the way of God's word alive in us and through us. Um, I, I want to pray. I want us to pray together. And um, there's a few things that I want to pray on. So I'm going to have you break up into groups of like four or five um, or less. I wouldn't do more than five. Because when we engage such crazy situations, whether it's in our life where we go, there's no other way. This doesn't work. This doesn't work. And, And we don't know how the third way works. We have ideas of how we want it to work. God, you need to reconcile this relationship. God, You need to bring this person into my life. God, you need to change that person. That's fine. And that all may be true. But we have to get into it first to see what God's going to do. And so I want us to go into prayer in that spirit of, like, we can't put anything on this. Like, we beg God to change suffering in our lives and in the lives of the people around us and in the world. And it may not look like the way that we want it to, but we have to bring his word to it. Because he speaks to us in prayer. His word comes to us in prayer. We speak his scripture in prayer, which is alive and it's full and it's whole and it transforms. On the, the middle walls, there's two, two papers, two separate papers. Um, one is a guide to prayer for um, slavery um, and human trafficking in the world. And it just gives some points to, to pray on. The other one is points of oppressive regimes in the world to pray on. And so I want us to get in groups of four or five, and I want you to use those as guides. We're going to pray for, um, we're going to pray for about fifteen or twenty minutes. So take some time to listen to the Lord. Take some time to read over those sheets. Um, there's, I don't think there's enough for everybody, but there's a there's a considerable number of each of those sheets. So pass them around if you need to, but but be liberal in taking them and don't you know leave any extras out there. And I want you to pray on these things, and I want us to speak the word of God in our prayers. I want us to speak who God is that comes out of Scripture. I want to ask God that he enters into these places for people with his word and as the person of Christ, the living word. Because I know that's what we can do. Um, The third place this week as I was preparing, besides, you know, praying over oppressive regimes and terrible emperors, um, praying into situations of slavery, is praying for marriages. 
And if you go to the next, the beginning of chapter 3, I'm, I'm not teaching on this, but it does go right into marriage dynamics of husbands and wives. So I want that to be a third area of concentration that we focus on. Um, I don't want to limit you. I mean, if you want to pray for a family in Lebanon that you know that there's some form of slavery, that's fine. If you want to ask for prayer in your group for some slavery or some related situation, ask for prayer. So we're going to do that. I'm going to pray just briefly right now to launch us and then just form up, grab papers, and go at it, and then I will close us. God, we come to you um, knowing that your word is, is engaging and active and living and full. Um, sometimes we don't believe that. Sometimes we don't believe that, that it is this three-dimensional active thing. We, we, we know about it, but we don't know it. God, take us closer into that. Take us closer to you, God, in this time of prayer that we might experience you fully, Jesus, and that others might experience you fully through this, Lord. God, we're going to pray for, for, for terrible situations in countries around the world. We're going to pray for terrible situations of slavery. We're going to pray for, for, for strengthening of marriages because this is where your word works, where it changes things, Lord, in context, in real time. Help us believe that because we often don't. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.